How are you doing? Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show. No talk of the foosball. You've had enough of that today. I won't I won't plague you further still, but I hope you're in good form. If you're in the UK and you watched it, that is. I've two brilliant guests lined up for you this Monday. As usual, reach the programme through my website, richieallen.co.uk, or through Twitter, BBG Richie. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Now, Stephanie Seneff is an old friend of the programme. She's a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She's written a new book. It is called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. It's very important. Stephanie joins me in the second hour of the programme. And I met on social media, I met Wayne Connington last week. Wayne is a musician, a very nice fella. He had the AstraZeneca jab back in February of this year and he hasn't been well since. We'll talk to Wayne about that. We'll talk about compensation as well and and more besides with Wayne. This hour, Wayne joins me around about 25 minutes past the hour. Monday's programme with the BBG. It is exactly... Two minutes past five, it is the 12th of July, 2021. Yes, I won't I won't go on about the foosball. I'll spare you that. There's been a bit of fallout from it, though, hasn't there, today? In terms of, well, the old racism has reared its ugly head again. Apparently, when some of the England footballers missed their penalties last night, namely Marcus Rashford and Bukaya Sacco, I think, the, the Arsenal player, and, and then Jadon Sancho, all of them black lads, black footballers, a lot of abuse, apparently, and the virtue signalling Olympics. Well, it's, it's, it's flying today. Everybody's getting involved. You know what the virtue signalling Olympics is, don't you? When people on social media jump in with both feet to, to signal how worthy, how virtuous they are, what wonderful human beings they are by making a public stance against whatever it is, racism or misogyny or whatever the bloody hell. So the virtue signalling, signalling, I can't even say it, Olympics is on just after half five is the uh, quarterfinals of Get a Stranger Fired from Their Job for Racism Sprint just after half five. At seven o'clock, seven o'clock even, you've got the first two quarterfinals of call-out misogyny. And at nine o'clock tonight, the final of shame a transphobe. Uh, so, so everybody can enter, by the way. Everybody can enter. But all of the current world records are held by Owen Jones of The Guardian and some bloke called Femi. Can't pronounce his surname because I'm a racist as well. Um, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but a woman in Belgium was killed. I'm not making this up now. A woman in Belgium was killed by two COVID variants at the same time. Do you see that? There was a woman killed by two COVID variants. She got two COVID variants at the same time. And the two variants were competing inside of her body. And well, they ate her from the inside out, basically. Yeah, she was 90 and had about 77 comorbidities. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish I was joking. That was in the Mail Online yesterday, and it was picked up by other newspapers as well. And before we go any further, let me read an important email that came in from Matthew. This is basically a bit of right of reply. Now, you know I had Debbie Hicks on the programme last week. Debbie was due in court today, but I haven't heard from her yet. To be fair, I didn't go looking for Debbie today, but she did say she would send me a tweet and let me know how it went. Debbie filmed inside a hospital in Gloucester and was was her video went viral because it appeared to show that the hospital was far from busy at the time. Now, I've had an email from Matthew, and I'm going to read all of it, right? In the interest of balance and right of reply. Richie, I wanted to clarify something re-Gloucester Hospital. Last February, I got ill. I have the worst respiratory illness of my life, or I had. You and I are similar ages. Uh, I have mild asthma triggered by dust mites. The cough was so bad that I kept almost blacking out, says Matthew, and I would have this weird little fits through lack of oxygen to my brain. Now, I'm not a doctor, he says. I was taken by ambulance to Gloucester. It was at the beginning of the whole COVID saga, February 2020. There were a lot of coughing and spluttering people. They kept me in through the night and let me go the following morning. A couple of months later, I was back in hospital as the still raging cough had given me a ventral hernia of about four inches down my stomach. Now, a relative of mine works at the hospital and my relative met me in accident and emergency. One door was for COVID, one door for normal A&E. After assessing me, they sent me into normal A&D. My relative was terrified I would be sent into the COVID ward. At that point, they had about 200 cases. Ward 8B in the tower is the respiratory ward. My father had been in and out of that ward throughout 2017 and 2018 with COPD. During the peak, the ward had become known as the death ward, as if you went in, you were unlikely to get out. Was this mostly older people, Richie? Yes. When my relative and others heard about Debbie, they were upset. Debbie simply did not go into any of the areas where COVID patients were being treated. The reason why is obvious. It is an airborne virus and all ward doors are magnetically sealed. You can walk around the open parts of the hospital all day and yes, they would be empty. The reason is that the hospital was not admitting many non-COVID patients and those patients were locked behind sealed doors. Not even family was allowed to visit at that time. So my relative worked on those wards throughout uh, and my relative got COVID and uh, just felt knackered for two days because my relative is young and fit. The idea that the hospital was empty is simply not true. Lockdowns are bullshit, Richie, says Matthew. The illness is not a problem for the vast majority of the population and it should be treated like flu. What I had was horrid and may or may not have been COVID, but I'm still going. Gloucester Hospital did get extremely busy with elderly people who had to die without their families by their side. My cough lasted for 10 months in total. I am not calling this long COVID, just that I had a really bad cough. There we go. Not looking for a reply, nor am I looking for this to be read out or anything. I just wanted to give you some more info. Keep up the work. Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. But of course, I had to read it out because it was sent in good faith. And Debbie came on in good faith. And I believe that Debbie believes what Debbie believes. And I believe what you believe. Uh, excuse me, I believe you believe what you believe. So I read it out and we let the uh, listeners make their own mind up. Thank you, Matthew. Seven and a half minutes past the hour then. 
Now, the public, you've been hearing this all day. As I speak, the UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is probably on his feet in Downing Street. The public will still be expected to wear masks and urged to work from home after next Monday, July 19th. Ministers and officials have been saying today and yesterday. Okay, so Johnson doing his thing now. The Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, was in the Commons at 3.30 this afternoon. And he basically said, well... It's now or never. We delayed step four by four weeks so we could build our vaccine wall even higher. And we believe this wall means that we can withstand a summer wave. And while the wall would be higher still if we waited till winter, we know the wave would be much more dangerous. Now, it's now or never. We've got to open up now because if we don't, the wave will be much more dangerous in the winter, said Sajid Javid. He's the, the current health secretary. And the restrictions are making people ill. So while we know there are risks with any decision, this is the most responsible decision that we can take. This step forward is about balancing the harms that are caused by COVID with the undeniable harms that restrictions bring. These restrictions, they were vital to protect the NHS. But we must be upfront about the impact of keeping them, just as we are about removing them. The rise in domestic violence, the impact on mental health, the undiagnosed cancer, to name just a few. Yeah, to name just a few. It took him a long time to get around to that, didn't it? Not, not him, but them. Apparently, we have to jab more jab it, 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 jab it. You've got to do a lot more jabbing of the younger people. So we'll ease the restrictions next week, while at the same time we'll be maintaining the defences we've built against this virus, like our vaccination programme, where we still need more young people to come forward, our work to support the most vulnerable, and the contingency plans that we've put in place to stay one step ahead of this virus. What are the contingency plans? Wait till you hear them. And we're publishing a plan today, showing the safe and gradual approach that we'll be taking throughout the summer. It includes details of how we'll be encouraging businesses and large events to use certification. Certification. There you are, right? Wrote about this on the website last week. Businesses and large events to use certification in high-risk settings to limit the the risk of spreading the infection. Vaccine passports are here then how we'll use guidance for those who are clinically extremely vulnerable and details of a review that we'll be conducting in September to assess our preparedness for autumn and winter. Yeah, vaccine passports, this is tyranny on steroids. This is a totalitarian government now. And don't think for a minute that businesses will fear a lack of footfall and will support the public. Businesses will not support the public. Businesses didn't support the public in the last 15 months. They didn't support themselves. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Javid um, and Johnson and their pals are going to hold, they're going to dangle over the country's businesses the threat of locking them down again. If the businesses don't take the gentle nudge, you, you should consider COVID certification there. Nudge, nudge, elbow, elbow. That's what they'll do. Don't think the businesses will. Some will. Some will. And my pal Laura, landlady in Moberly, no doubt, some, but the majority will be quite happy to say, no, you can't come into this cinema. No, you can't 
have some Sunday carvery at this pub unless you show us that you've been jabbed or that you've passed a recent test. Certification is where we're going. Over on BBC Radio World at One programme, BBC Radio 4's World at One, the former Health Secretary Jeremy Hunt was asked, are you comfortable, Jeremy, with the pace of the easing of the restrictions from July the 19th? Well, I'm more comfortable now the Prime Minister is adopting this more cautious tone. I think it is genuinely the most difficult decision of the pandemic so far. Um, On the positive side, only one in 40 COVID cases are ending up in hospital, uh, down from one in 10 before. And all over 40s have been offered two jabs, and that is 99% of the people who previously died from COVID. But on the negative side, we have got a lot of people with long COVID. Uh, NHS hospital beds are being occupied at a faster rate than was predicted. Nonsense. Nonsense. There's no such thing as long COVID. It's nonsense. And hospital beds are not filling up in this country. They are not. I have people, people, I have contacts in three hospitals in the Northwest. Hospitals that would be taking in respiratory illnesses if they were bad. There's nothing happening. Nothing. And maybe it's because it's July, maybe. And there's always the risk of new mutations when you have very high levels of um, new cases. So I think if we're going to do this, we should be willing to allow the government to change its mind quickly if the data on the ground changes. And I would rather a government that was uh, setting expectations that that may need to happen might need to roll back. The one that was sort of being very gung-ho and saying this is Freedom Day and we'll never go back. OK, so use of the word irreversible was a mistake. Mm. Yes, but I think that has stopped. I've noticed they haven't been using that word. And I think rightly, I mean, let's be clear, it's not just a health argument. What we don't want to go back to is more lockdowns. And places like Korea have taught us that acting fast with test and trace, border control and so on uh, is the way that you avoid having to do the more draconian things. So there's an economic reason as well to be cautious. But um, I think we have a more than evens chance. I hesitate to say that after the more than evens chance we had of winning last night, but I think we have a more than evens chance of not going back to lockdowns and not having to have more draconian restrictions. But we just have to be honest with people. There's more a lot than evens is not very high. It isn't. And that's why I think we just have to be very honest with people that this will hopefully so be the beginning a, Sorry, the just end. to be clear, there's a 50-50 chance of the steps having to be reversed. Yeah. I think, there's a, I think there's a more than evens chance we won't have to go back. But I think we have to be honest, there's still a significant chance because we just don't know. We don't How much do you think they're paying these people? Are they paying them or are they promising not to reveal who they really are? And, and by they, I mean lots of them. I'm not picking on Jeremy Hunt specifically. But these people obviously have cemeteries in their closets, right? It's not about the money. These hand-picked goons who are lying through their teeth on national radio Surely it's more than money and houses and apartments in the Hamptons and in New York. It's got to be something else. It's got to be blackmail, right? It's either financial dealings or something far more sinister. Uh, Sally Beck, the terrific journalist, conservative woman, put me onto this. I missed this programme today. I normally hear it. 50-50 chance that we'll be going back into lockdowns, basically. We just don't know. We don't know, for example, whether there are going to be new variants in the autumn. We don't yet know what's going to happen to hospitalisation rates. We don't really know uh, as much as we need to about long COVID. We don't know how long... But a minute ago, he knew everything there was to know about long COVID. 
You know, now we don't know that much about it. Now we know loads about it. Oh, there's a million people suffering from it. They'll tell you any given day, it's crap, it's garbage. How long long COVID lasts, for example? How long does long COVID last? And does it only, is it only affecting people whose surnames are long? You know, this is just rubbish. Post-viral fatigue. There are a number of names for this. People who get the flu, people who get pleurisy, pneumonia, chest infections, bronchial illnesses. You're screwed for weeks. And sometimes, yes, even several months afterwards, you struggle to get back on your feet. It's common. No such thing as long COVID, it's rubbish. Jeremy Hunt, former health secretary, speaking to BBC Radio 4's World at One programme, where he said pretty much there's a 50-50 chance we'll be going back into restrictions. Yes. Meanwhile, over on ITV's Lorraine show this morning, Lorraine Kelly, Dr Hillary Killery Shillery Jones was chatting to her about refuseniks and how dangerous they are, and anti-vaxxers. The audio isn't great here, but it's unmistakable in terms of what they are saying. It can't affect your fertility. It can only protect you. It's a win, 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 win. There's nothing, there's no downside. Yeah, but one in... There's no downside. ...in um, 500,000 might develop a very rare complication. That's a massive lie. The government's own figures say that it's far uh, more common than one in 500,000. Far more common than one in 500,000 developing complications, having had a jab. Again, this guy, this is lying on steroids, this. And the worst of it is he knows he's lying. This is not a guy who's just making a mistake or who has taken some documents, a briefing. He's not taking, he's not taking a briefing paper and he's just regurgitating it. No, no, he knows this is crap. This is the thing, you see, if you ever... You know, will there be a day of reckoning for these people? 500,000 might develop a very rare complication. The link still hasn't been proven yet. But one in 500,000 compared to quite a high risk of becoming ill, one million people already suffering with long COVID. And some of those, it will affect them all their lives. All their lives. Lorraine can't wait to jump in and agree with this because Lorraine apparently is a useless fishwife television presenter by mid-morning but by night Lorraine is some sort of scientific expert. And some of them are kids as well. And some of them are children. Which is horrible. So the risk of the virus is far, far worse than the vaccination. So think about it again. I think so. I think you're right. And all of this thing... Lorraine thinks he's right. She thinks he's right. She thinks he's right, Lorraine Kelly does. This thing about, you know... The, the, the government are saying we're, we're going to rely on the common sense of the British people. Well, most people are do yes. have common sense. Some don't, though. That's right. Some really don't and have to be protected from themselves. What do you mean by that exactly? No, I don't think she means much by it, but it's still worth hearing again. Don't, though. That's right. Some really don't and have to be protected from themselves. They, you might have to be protected from yourself sooner or later. Do, and, and yeah. they're the ones, I mean, they don't understand science, they, they, don't, they won't listen to reason, they, have a, they get this idea in their heads and they stick with it, and then they, they read the conspiracy theorist rubbish mm-hmm. on social media. No, they don't, Hillary, they don't read conspiracy theory rubbish. They read the papers, they read the Daily Mail, they read the Daily Telegraph, even in The Guardian. They've reported on people dropping stone brown bread dead after having one of these treatments. That's not a conspiracy theory. So they're not going on Uncle Albert's or Auntie Mabel's Facebook page. They're getting it from the mainstream media. Or they're checking in with VAERS in America or the yellow card reporting system on the government website here. Again, what are they paying Hillary or is it something else? 
I, I would never speculate because I'm a real journalist and real journalists do not do that. We don't put out nonsense, you know, oh, it could be this, it could be money. I have no idea, but I wonder, because I know he knows he's lying. Meanwhile, over on LBC Radio, James O'Brien was lamenting those who won't wear masks because, well, they're a threat to him. And he makes some fantastically funny comparisons here. Mask wearing seems such a simple thing to, to keep in place. What they've done in the space of a week is announce that you don't have to wear your masks anymore. And then later today they will announce that you don't have to wear your masks anymore, but you really, really should. And 24 hours after seeing a bloke in the middle of Leicester Square with a lit firework up his bottom, they're going to be telling us to all to rely upon personal responsibility. And remember... You can protect yourself using personal responsibility from your own bad decisions. You can avoid bad decisions by taking personal responsibility. You can't protect yourself from people with fireworks up their bottoms running around Leicester Square. Your personal responsibility can't protect you from somebody else's complete lack of personal responsibility. And that seems to me to be a statement of such blinding obviousness, such utter, utter irrefutability, if that's a word. Uh, I don't get it. That's why I say what's going on. So, oh, personal responsibility, personal responsibility. And then you look at the scenes in Leicester Square yesterday. And you say, well, I'm worried about them. Well, just don't go to Leicester Square. Fine, I won't. Except I work here, so it's a little bit tricky. But I, I didn't come in yesterday for obvious reasons. And, and yet, wherever I go, personal responsibility is going to be an issue. And I can only take personal responsibility for my own person. And yet the threat to me comes from other people. From other people. He's the gift that keeps on giving as well, isn't he? I love this. You can't protect yourself from people with fireworks up their bottoms. What? You can't protect yourself from people with fireworks up their bottoms. Give over. You can't protect yourself from people with fireworks up their bottoms. Is that a new variant, is it? Is that a new variant of COVID? Fireworks come out of people's arses with this new strain that's come from Madagascar or somewhere like that. Is that a new strain? I'm wondering. You can't protect yourself from people with fireworks up their bottoms. We might have a lockdown because a new strain of COVID causes people to fart fireworks. There you are, James O'Brien. And of course, the end of it was really interesting. Wherever I go, personal responsibility is going to be an issue and I can only take personal responsibility for my own person. And yet the threat to me comes from other people. Mm. That's allegedly a, a journalist, a radio presenter called James O'Brien. On, on LBC Radio, the time is 22 minutes past five. This is your Richie Allen Show, Monday's programme. Indeed it is. Stephanie Seneff, old friend, a senior research scientist at MIT and has written a very important book and the publishing company were lovely. They sent it to me weeks ago. Toxic Legacy, how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment. You do not want to miss her. But before that, Wayne Connington will be with me. Wayne, sadly for him, got the AZ jab in February. February. He had a reaction to it. He hasn't been well. We'll talk about that. And also about compensation, not necessarily for Wayne, but for others who have been injured by a jab. It's time for a tune then. It's The Who and Substitute kicking us off today. Why not? Why not, I say? BBG Richie on Twitter, richieallen.co.uk. If you want to send me a message... Right, that is music from The Who and Substitute on the Richie Allen Radio Show. 25 minutes past five it is. Thanks for joining the programme. Thank you. Don't forget Stephanie Seneff. I know I've said it already. She'll be with me in the second hour. Now, my guest this hour, I came across him on Twitter. I think listeners to the programme 
were tweeting him and asking us to have a look at it because he was asking uh, people to pay attention, to listen to what he was saying. He got the AstraZeneca jab back in February and he's had a bad reaction to it. In fact, a very bad reaction to it that he's been dealing with ever since. Um, Let's just welcome him to the programme. Let's say hi to Wayne Connington. Wayne, thanks for coming on the programme. How are you doing today? Hello, Richie. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on. You're very welcome, Wayne. Um, Thanks. I know. I know you. Um, I, I know you're at the doctors today, and uh, we, we we may or may not talk about that. But I suppose the best thing for me to do is to get out of your way and tell us what happened in in February. When did you get the jab, and, and what happened? Yeah. Okay. So I had my AstraZeneca jab um, February the twenty second. It seemed like it was going to be fairly straightforward, you know, um, expected a few aches and pains like they warn you about. Um, but then within an hour or two, achy arm, slight headache, um, I thought, okay, you know, it's nothing to worry about. But then within an hour or two, it progressed to much worse and I spent the next few days just in bed. Um, I couldn't think, my head was crashing. They describe it, your head's like in a vice. Um, pretty horrible, really. Um, I'd phoned my doctors repeatedly um, within two weeks. Now, any normal person, at some point you'd realise that you, you're unwell, so you'd go to your doctors, well, you can't do that, um, or you'd go to the hospital. And I just, I lost all rational thinking. Um, I just wasn't able to comprehend how ill I was. And I was phoning my doctors saying to them, look, I really don't feel well, but don't worry, it's just normal side effects. Um, and they actually agreed with me that they'd come get me in to have a look at me, um, but then they changed their mind and said, no, we've changed our minds. Um, it's, don't worry, it's just side effects. What were they doing, Wayne? Were they asking you like a, a list of questions, like ticking boxes? Do you have headache? Do you have nausea? I mean, how bad was it at the time? I would say when I was in that second week, because um, they say if you get side effects, back yeah. in February they were saying that if you get side effects up to a week, fine don't worry about it but now they've altered that uh, paperwork that they give you it's actually within three to four days you don't feel unwell seek medical attention straight away unfortunately they weren't listening to me they weren't even asking me what was happening i was telling them that i've got a crashing headache i'm dizzy i struggle to stand i can't think um but don't worry about it it's just like well when do i worry about it I mean, those are very serious symptoms, aren't they? Very worrying symptoms. You you would imagine they would send an ambulance or if they couldn't do that immediately, they would ask you, could you come to accident and emergency as soon as possible? But even in the second week, they were saying, no, no, it's 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 normal. Don't worry about it. It will pass. That's right. I was, I was finding them more regular during that second week and I was getting even less sent out of them. And I actually spoke to one person who says, oh, maybe... We should get you in to check you over. But then a call never came from them about that. And at that point, I'd lost um, mental um, appreciation or ability to actually think about how serious things were. And so I just kind of didn't do anything for a few days. I just stayed at home. I hadn't really gone anywhere for about two weeks because I just didn't feel safe enough to be out. Um and finally, on the two weeks to the day on the Monday, um, I managed to get through to a care navigator 
uh, my doctors, and they actually put me through to the GP who actually saved my life, basically. Um, he spoke to me, and he, I sounded so out of it. Um, I was slow on my words. Um, I was having great difficulty in just actually, compre- just actually comprehending a sentence. And this is a thing I need you, you to get down here straight away. And without thinking, I actually drove there in my Did car. Did you? You drove. Um, wow. I drove there. And I just had no ability, no mental um, acceptance of the danger I was in. So I drove there. I got there in one piece. And shortly after seeing me standing in, well, staggering in the, co- in the corridor because I couldn't barely walk, he uh, called an ambulance for me. Um, it was that serious. He knew straight away that what? you were in a very serious condition, oh, yeah. It sounded that bad on the phone, but then obviously the visual. Yeah. This is what people miss at the moment. Doctors, they just, they can't see you or won't see you for whatever reason. And uh, yeah. i tell you what, Wayne, you would imagine they'd be nervous about making a catastrophic mistake, wouldn't you? You would imagine they would be. You know, how it, it doesn't sit right with me that the doctor would hear you on the phone and you're describing some very serious um, symptoms, very serious, and they would say, oh no, it will, it will pass. I'm amazed that they're mm. playing so fast and loose with their own careers because if anything happened to you like you were to drop dead, well, they're in serious trouble. I, I'm, I'm astonished at this. So, so you get to mm. see a decent doctor... Thank God for that. So he, yeah. he packs you off to casualty, accident and emergency. What happens then? Well, so basically just before they sent me off, they, they were trying to say, well, look, we're not happy with how you are. You, you, you know, you're just displaying some bad symptoms and we're really worried. But what we'll do is to make sure you get seen to the right people in A&E, make your conditions seem worse than they are. He did. Um, he said okay, that. fine. Um, yeah, this is what they said. But th- this is actually quite a good one because they said, well, we'll check your blood pressure just before we send you. Um, and it was 203 over 120. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, forget that. We're going to tell you just try and make the case seem worse than it is, but that's serious enough. Um, and that was that. So, yeah. This is just to make you. sure that I got the right attention, the right investigation to find out what was going on after my vaccine um, reaction. And, uh, yeah, they didn't need to. But uh, I'm amazed hearing that. You're obviously in a very mm. serious condition. And yet they, yet they tell you to act it, you know, sell it, Wayne. You know, mm. when you get in there, sell it. That's, it. That's amazing to me. That's right. Wow. Mm. So moving it along then, so you get there yeah. um, and you're, you're, you're seeing to. What did they think was wrong with you? Well, pretty straight away they'd um, been made aware that I'd had my, my vaccine and obviously suffered a, a bad reaction, not just the normal reaction. So it's admittedly um, doctors and nurses there had actually told me that they'd been seeing quite a lot of people with bad reactions, and even the guy who ended up paralysed um, when he got put in there, but obviously by the time he left, they'd actually regained some mobility. Um, and I got investigated over 11 days, um, having all sorts of scans and tests, right from CAT scans, MRIs, um, deep ophthalmic scan to check my retinas, because a lot of people have been going blind from these um, jabs, um, and also a lumbar puncture. Um, 
all admittedly, they didn't actually have to do the last two because they'd already found the tissue damage on the MRI. So they found tissue damage on your MRI, mm. brain tissue damage. Now, before we come to that, right. before we come to that, sure. I've got to say that this is anecdotal. Now, by saying anecdotal, I, I don't mean your injury. Your injury is real. But when you mentioned yeah. that some people were going blind, I don't doubt that you yeah. heard that, but it, it is anecdotal, oh. right? Who said that? Was that, was that a, an attending doctor or a nurse that said that they were, they were seeing um, people with blindness? It was, an, it was an attending nurse, but I have found out since through a friend that she's gone blind again um she was been in the hospital a few months ago and i won't say her name no um, don't, but, yeah. um, and she thought she'd kind of got over it and actually starting to get her life back again and she was pushed back into hospital last week again because she went blind again um, yeah, so the, the initial thing that you think you're recovering, you're going to get over it and that'll be the end of it, doesn't seem to be the case. So Not in your friend's case. Yeah. Fingers crossed for your friend no. that, that she'll make a recovery. No, it, what did you think, Wayne? Definitely. Please God, she will. When, when they said, um, well, Mr. Connington, we've found tissue damage um, on the MRI. Mm. I mean, that's a scary thing. What did you think when you heard that? Oh, I was, I was shocked. I mean, I knew something was seriously wrong with me. But you have no idea what's going on. And bear in mind, within me being in hospital in a few hours, I was dosed up with morphine, and that was pretty much my stay. Um, I just needed as much pain relief as possible. Um, and that was pretty much my stay for 11 days. Um, I had some devastating things mentioned to me. I mean, each one was worse than the last. Um, yeah, it's it was... Great to be seen by people that take you seriously, finally, but scary. I can, I, I can only, when it's to do with the brain or the heart, panic mm. stations, I'd be panicking, inwardly panicking, trying to keep a, trying to keep a, a calm exterior. It must have been hard for you, Wayne. And was, oh, was the I vaccine... Cried. I, I, I don't blame you, Jesus. I don't blame you. And what about, mm. what about mention of the vaccine? Was the, was the vaccine discussed? By yeah, it was mentioned very early on um, because obviously that um, that was the reason why I was rushed in. The doctor had actually notified, told me that he was reporting it to the yellow card scheme. Um, the hospital, um, when I was waiting to be assessed properly, but they'd already said that we're, we're going to report it to the yellow card scheme. So we took it seriously right from the word go that it was a vaccine issue. Um, it was noted in my discharge notes, although it had been mentioned before, that um, directly linked to the vaccine because it caused a new side effect at that time, high blood pressure. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's basically, it's uncontrollable. And so at that stage, and so it just basically just wipes, wipes you out. And that's why I got such a uh, bad reaction with the uh, brain tissue damage. So, and you're still. I understand. This might be personal now, so uh, no problems. You no, telling me to, to jog on, but is are you still undergoing treatment for it now? Yeah. So I, I've had to wait about three, four months from being discharged because um, I'd had a diagnosis of um, 
MS uh, and or dementia from the consultants in the hospital. And so I had to wait another three to four months before I was seen again by anyone. I had a, a prognosis, but I had no way of knowing what was happening next. And my neurologist, um, bless her, um, actually showed me the damage in my previous MRI scans. said, look, you see the white shadows that are on your temporal lobes. Well, this is what's been happening. This is the damage that has occurred. Um, because of my observations that I've been doing for the last um, well, it's five months in total, but it's four months that I've been doing it myself, um, it shows a worsening of the damage. And so she arranged uh, new MRIs, which I've since had and I'm now awaiting the results of uh, to see if it's getting, um, it's actually progressing as badly as we think, um, because the medication I'm on has been bumped up drastically over the last few months. Um, I'm on probably a total of 10 medications. Um, five of those are primarily just for blood pressure. Um, if you speak to anybody who has blood pressure problems and they say to you, oh, I'm on Ramipril, just one medication, that's, that's strong and that's a serious thing. I'm on five. It scares the hell out of me. Jesus, Wayne. And you never had any um, blood pressure issues before you had this job, no? Your blood pressure uh, was fine. I, I was a fit and healthy 50-year-old. Um, excuse me. Um, oh, you're, all right. you're all right, mate. And I never had issues. Um, yeah, okay, people get colds, people get a little bit unwell now and again, but it's just general, isn't it? Yeah. But I went to the gym. I, I, I love to go for the odd run around the park, and I worked and I travelled. And I, I, I say to people, you know, my life before the jab, I did all these things, but now I don't do any of those things. It's just a total change, and it's scary. And I've tried to say to people, look, I'm not telling you one way or the other, but this is what, could possibly happen. What could possibly happen, which is a very magnanimous thing to say. It doesn't mean it will mm. happen, but it could happen. Well, what was the odds? I think you were speaking earlier on, and um, was it 1 in 50 or 1 in 100? I think it roughly works out that. Yeah, you know, all these people that might be perfectly safe, um, but would you like to be that one person who then has to change their whole life? No. Um, no, I would not. No. When, when, no. when you got the call for the job, um, yeah. I, I, I want to be careful how I phrase this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Um, I, I've turned it down. I'm not too far away from you now, age-wise. I'm 46. And I've turned it down yeah. because I, 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 I just don't trust them. I remember the last time they brought out a vaccine for swine flu, the pandemics one, and that did quite a bit of damage to people. And this has come out mm. so quickly and it's been rolled out so quickly and they don't have long-term data. So for that reason, mm. you know, I've said, look, no, no, thanks. Did you, when, when your offer came, when the call came to go and have it, were you thinking about those things at the time or, or not? I have to say now, extended family members, my extended family, um, like yourself, they've gone and had it. They've, they have had it. Mm. Um, were you concerned at all at the time? When did you look into it at all? Well, I have no reason to look into it. Back in February, yeah. there was no negativity. There was no bad press. Um, it was just 
Um, we're in a hysteria, um, like you need to have this, your life is at risk, your friends are at risk, um, you need to protect them, uh, protect your way of life. There was no warning at all that this, this vaccine was still in test for another two years. Yeah. They don't tell you this when they have, you get your jab. They just say you might get a few side effects. I mean, there's a huge difference between that and then changing somebody's life. No, I hear you loud and clear. You know, it's easy to be kind of wise after the fact, and I'm mm. I'm not being you know I'm I'm not in any way trying to patronise you. I'm lucky. That's that I'm lucky. I knew about mm. the pandemics, and I only knew about the pandemics because I'm a journalist and I covered it. Mm. Now, if I didn't know that, I'm a guy like you. I, I like to think the best of people. I like to think that people mm. are fundamentally decent. So if I didn't know any of that, that could have been me in your place going to have that job. So mm. I, I wouldn't beat myself up about it. I, you're quite right to say what you said. Why would you think you know, th- that there would be any reason not to have it? And then you make another yeah. excellent point, Wayne. They should have a duty to, to explain to people that this is very, very... Yeah. Um, experimental and they should also have a duty to tell people that your own personal risk of getting very ill from coronavirus is negligible therefore you know maybe you might want to think about not having it but they don't do any of that like you said it was all morning noon and night radio propaganda tv propaganda and that upsets me that you know so what about what's the prognosis for you now you're waiting for mri scan results what what do they think might be the future well, that's the that's the unknown in a way because we don't know how long things can actually um, it will take to actually progress to that stage. Um, when I was in hospital, the consultants, two different consultants on different days, both said quite bluntly, um, "Cases such as yours, um, we we very likely see in your future um, MS," um, and then the other one was very much well MS and or dementia. Um, and the first time someone said that to me, he says, you know what dementia, uh, MS is? And I said, well, yeah. And then he just walked away. And it was very blunt. Um, and I just cried. And I just thought, what? Yeah. Um, I just didn't know what to expect. You, know, you end up being in the hospital and you think, at some point or other, they treat you with something, then you get better, and then you carry on with your life somebody telling you that and all of a sudden you think well life over um yeah very sobering let me remind our listeners we've got wayne connington on the line wayne had the astrazeneca jab in february february 22nd i think he said wayne and uh and uh, had a horrendous reaction to it and it took him quite a considerable amount of time to be taken seriously in fact it took over two weeks before anybody would take him seriously that he was in a bad way. And eventually when he was seen and a gamut of tests were performed over a period of time, they said to Wayne that he had um, tissue damage, brain tissue damage, and that that might lead to you know, problems for, for him in the very near future. He's understandably worried and upset and concerned about that. And what, what has been there? I mean, you obviously want to know why. Why has this happened to me? Why were steps not taken to make sure it couldn't happen to me? And 
I doubt very much, and I'm not saying this again. Maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe I should ask you. Maybe I should ask you whether money, whether whether money is um, a significant factor. I, I don't get the impression it is a significant factor in any of this. You've been injured, but compensation going forward and some sort of, you know, guarantee that you're going to get whatever care you need round the clock. You know, the, the latest, uh, you know, breakthroughs in in medicine to help you out. What sort of assurances has anybody given you, Wayne? Whether it be the doctors Nothing. or politicians. Nah, nothing at all. Nothing. It's a struggle. You know, you get some countries, America, for instance, you get people actually speaking up on people's behalf. Senator Johnson speaking up on behalf of so many people being injured by the jabs, and they featured six people, uh, special cases. Um, and it was just heartbreaking. You know, probably your old girl, I don't know if you've seen the video yourself. And yeah. They had such a fight to get where they've got. Um, Hopefully, the more that um, people like yourself can actually um, bring it to more mainstream media um, and just actually help us. Um, there's a government um, petition running to actually gain more, um, in, um, and be more of a vocal uh, a voice. Um, I get a bit confused, sorry. No, no, um, no, I, I, this is, this, I'm so glad you brought this up. I had it written on, on, on my notes and I, I'm not looking at ooh, my notes. Fun. This is important, yeah. There's, there's a lady, you can find this, by the way, folks, go to Wayne's Twitter, follow Wayne, give Wayne a follow on Twitter. It's at Wayne, T-L-C, at W-A-Y-N-E, T-L-C, Wayne Connington. Follow Wayne and links to that um, petition. You'll find links there and sign it. It's about um, getting a discussion about this, about what's happening to people. Uh, uh, let me just uh, bring it's it very, up. It's a, it's a very good position because, say, with there's about 10,300 people now. It's flying. So it's flying. It's reform. It's reformed the Vaccine Damage Payments Act 1979 to improve support for those harmed by COVID-19 vaccines. It's got 10,368 signatures. It left 10,369 in a few minutes when I sign it. And I'm going to put a tweet out there uh, now. No, it's absolutely right and proper, Wayne. And I'm dismayed to hear that people are not, you know, giving you any answers. I really am dismayed to hear that. I don't know what to say to you. I mean, I... No, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I've got, I'm not too sure whether when you say you, you, you get treatment from your doctor in your hospital and they report you to the yellow card scheme and you trust them to do it. But I actually followed up myself and actually got in touch with AstraZeneca, got a reply back, sent them my details, made an official report that passed, passed my neurological issues on to uh, Liverpool, which is a specialist unit for it. So I've been in touch with them directly. Um, it may do something good um, as to the future because I'd love to turn the clock back. That's not going to happen. But hopefully there's something that they can do. Yeah. Um, financial is another worry. So if the government scheme can be improved, acknowledged, bettered somehow, brilliant. That's another worry off people's minds because I'm not the only one. I'm one of thousands and thousands of people that just, need help. And Wayne, since you went public with your video, have you sure. been contacted by others who have had, if not exactly what happened to you, but oh. other injuries? Oh, I mean, I've got to admit, there's, there's a couple of people on Twitter, um, I don't know a real name, I don't think she wants me to use a real name, Joanne D, uh, search on Twitter, 
amazing. They set up a little campaign just to get not just recognition for me, but for other people. Um, and it just it basically exploded over Twitter for a couple of days. Um, my phone just never stopped. But I was glad of that because it knew that we were touching people. Um, and yeah, it's getting a lot of uh, traffic, but it's finding a lot of people. They can actually put their hand up and say, but that sounds like me as well. So I've, yeah, I've had a lot of personal messages from people actually saying, look, I was told to get the jab. I did. And there's people of all ages, as a, as a young guy from about 30, and I won't say his name, but um, he's heartbroken. He's got a couple of kids. Um, he thought he was doing the right thing because he wanted to go on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now, obviously, he's paying the price. It's just horrible. You know, even um, the, the government might say that last year it did state that it would indemnify the companies. But that's all very well mm. and good, you know, but they were stating that quite a long time before the jab rollouts. But when they were rolling out the jabs, they weren't reminding people at all that they'd indemnified the no. pharmaceutical companies. You know, such was the speed with which they rolled those out. I, I'm guessing, Wayne, that you, um, there will be many people listening, not just listen to the programme, but they would have seen your tweets and your videos and they will know of somebody who's had an, an injury, whether mm. it's a mild one or a more serious one like the one you've had. And, you know, who yeah. knows? I mean, your your prognosis might be better than you think. Please, God, you know, all fingers crossed oh, for you, you know, and your family. I'll try. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll try not to fixate on it. Um, in the first few months, I felt very alone and I thought, this is it. This is, this is a game over. And then I just discovered... Twitter and its um, amazing community. Um, yeah. Basically, I've just kind of turned turned it all around, and so I just keep going now, basically to be a voice for everyone else that I can be. Um, it's not physically possible to do, be there for everyone, but just to highlight the issue, just to make people more aware, um, better informed people can make better decisions for themselves, yeah. um, and it's given me such amazing energy um yeah i mean my prognosis going forward in mris are hopefully going to point out um that the damage isn't as bad as we think but although the, the medication increase does actually point towards that but in the meantime i will keep pushing forward as much as i can and you're a musician i believe yeah i've um i've recorded music for um, over 20 years and amazingly I've, you know you store things on your computers and I've been obviously had my own websites um, and doing little things as I can just to actually make people aware of it as a way to say look um, feel free to um, listen um, but also because I, I, I can't work um, I don't know when or, or if, hopefully, I will be at some point in the future, but it's uh, too much of an unknown at the moment, but just a form of keeping going, providing, isn't it? It's everybody needs some sort of an income. Um, we have bills to pay, so. These are worries you can do without, eh? Worrying about the, the future. It's just one less thing yeah. to worry about. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, again, folks, Wayne is Wayne TLC on Twitter. Do give him a follow, please. And I've just tweeted out the link to the, excuse me, to the petition as well. I do know some oh, journalists you. 
and I know that a couple of them might very well be listening to this programme. They're involved with them, um, well, they're proper journalists, proper writers. And, mm. you, you know, you, if they haven't already, they might be way ahead of me, which wouldn't be surprising, really. But uh, they, they, they might already be writing up um, your own story, you know, and, and it, mm-hmm. might, it might end up in the, in, on the Mail Online or somewhere like that. Let's hope so. But, but also the Conservative mm. Woman and, and other publications that are doing a lot to, uh, you know, to try and put the other side to people that the government is playing fast and loose with people's health. It is, really. I shouldn't maybe, mm. you, you know... Um, Editorialized, but I'm going to do it anyway. It is. It's not giving people uh, the the the, yeah. the the full picture. Uh, so I don't know. I think I think it's great that you're telling people. I think you're humble. You're not saying to people, look, you're going to get ill or you're going to die if you get the jab. What you're saying is, look, these things are happening and you should know about it. And I think everybody should mm. know about it before making their own decision. I saw, I saw people queuing up today, and there's a, somebody I know from the gym I used to go to. Um. And I found it very hard to say to him, oh, you've just been in. If I'd have seen him beforehand, I, I might have just said, look, think twice that he'd just been in. And unfortunately, he's, he's had the same jab as me. Okay, it might be a different batch because there's something that does point in a lot of cases that there are certain batch numbers that point to a lot of in- injuries. Um, there's a friend of mine on the radio, uh, uh, sorry, she's on a radio station, Radio Kent, I think it is. Jules Serkin, and she's, she won't mind me saying her name, I don't think too much, but there's been certain batch numbers linked to certain cases, and she obviously had um, a bit of a bad reaction too. Um, The papers uh, have also, I think, not the papers, the media, but somebody mentioned that there was some sort of link to um, a strain of certain number of issues that people were having, and I think that came from a particular as well. From a, from a particular batch of the vaccines, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not too sure the, the code numbers itself, but um, every, you know, you'll see that if you've had your jab, you, they all start with this batch number, and you can actually link them sometimes in a lot of the cases, which is strange, but yeah. And you know, go, going back to, to to your own injury, it was, sure. again, you were unlucky when you were so unlucky because it wasn't long after you had the jab that we began to hear mm. about clotting with the AstraZeneca jab. Isn't that right? It wasn't too long afterwards when we started hearing about these uh, incidents. I was scared. I was, I was, I, I had time in my hands when I was in hospital and although there was many sleepless nights and many bizarre um, instances happening there, shall we say, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, but I had so much time just to look on my phone and I actually just seemed to be getting a lot of things coming up about clots and things happening. And I thought, it's a bit weird because there was nothing before. Yeah. And maybe it's because I wouldn't spend all my time on Twitter because I was always working and always working through the whole pandemic as it's been. Um, and then all of a sudden, I'm just discovering so much more and more and it just really opened my eyes to what, another world. And it was just like, oh my God, um, quite shocked when we just look a little bit harder for what's actually out there. And Wayne, just before um, we part company today, and just for today, we'll keep in touch, obviously, and sure. you're welcome back anytime. Mm. And I mean that, by the way, Definitely. anytime you okay. want to come back. Thank you. Tell me, um, speaking of um, the reporting of it, since, since this mm. has happened to you, you're watching this undoubtedly. Are the reports 
on the yellow card system on the government website, are the reports increasing in number, are they, of people getting adverse, you know, events after having oh, the jabs? Definitely. I mean, I think the UK is up to about 1,500 deaths now. Um, I think there's actually 1 million or just over 1 million cases of side effects now on the yellow card system in the UK alone. But this is only what's actually been reported in the UK. That's the problem. Well, that's a good point to make, yeah. isn't it? Because the feeling is that a lot of people, in fact, the, the great majority of people might not actually report it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because they've been told that by their GP or whoever, that's all. it might not be. It might just be a coincidence. Um, and so you, that data then gets lost. It never get ad, gets added to the total. And then you can't see your patterns emerging. Once is a that coincidence. Too often. Once or twice might be a coincidence, but several hundred or several thousand times is certainly no coincidence. When I, I, I um, right. th- 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 if you go on to, to Twitter after we, we finish speaking, you'll see there's sure. an, an, some lovely messages for you there uh, coming through on, oh, my, wow. on my Twitter page. Uh, so check them out oh, wow. and, and stay in touch with us. And please, God, all fingers and toes crossed that, that they'll come back and the results of the MRIs will, will be positive, mate. And I, I, I'll be pulling for you. Definitely. Oh. No, thank you for that. That's uh, really quite touching. I mean, I'll I'll definitely keep you in touch anyway because as soon as I find out anything, it's going to be a way off my mind because I can actually just um, process that then and we just can work around whatever's going to happen and just find a way of just carrying on. But right. no, I'll definitely let you know and uh, thank you for your help. Not at all. I hear what you're saying. The not knowing is even worse than getting difficult news. Mm. Whatever the news is, you just bloody well want it now, don't you, so you can move on and and do something about it. Sure. You're welcome, Wayne. It's Wayne TLC on Twitter, at Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E-T-L-C. Give him a follow. Obviously a gentleman. Uh, tough knock, Wayne, but um, no better man than yourself to battle it, mate. So all the best, and speak again. Well, that's great. Thanks, Richie. You're very Take welcome. Care, Bye for now. That was Wayne Connington, folks. Wayne had the AZ jab back in February, and it gave um, him brain tissue damage. And uh, that's a horrendous thing. Uh, he didn't know anything about um, the jabs, like most people, you're talking about intelligent, nice, decent people want to do the right thing. All that propaganda on the BBC and on Sky about the plague and do this for your country. You know, and decent people will. Decent people will say, yeah, OK. And uh, it's not his fault. It's the fault of the government. It's the fault of the doctors. It's the fault of the vaccinators. It's the fault of the media for not telling people the whole truth. They don't tell them the whole truth. They're still lying. If you listen back to the monologue segment of the programme, you'll hear Hillary Jones lying through his teeth about the rate of vaccine injuries in this country. Lying. I won't be sued for libel by Hillary Jones because he was lying through his teeth. It's uh, six o'clock, by the way. This is the Richie Allen Show for Monday the 12th of July. Coming up in a few minutes, I'll be joined by none other than Stephanie Seneff. You don't want to miss Stephanie, who's been on this programme uh, more than once over the years. MIT scientist, very, very bright, and she is has written a book about glyphosate, 
which I have in my hand right here. It's called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. It's a sobering read, I don't mind telling you. It's a sobering read and uh, we'll be chatting, I'll be chatting with Stephanie about that shortly. And in case I haven't said it 50 times already in the programme, you can uh, reach me by Twitter, it's BBG Richie, or you can uh, drop me a message through the website, through the website. It's richieallen.co.uk, all right? In the meantime... This is uh, Hello Sunshine Bruce the Boss Springsteen I know, I know It's still great Had another heartbreaking pension Yeah, from the album Western Stars That's uh, Bruce Springsteen Hello Sunshine Before we welcome Stephanie back to the programme It's been a long time as well Let me read you from The Guardian July 2nd So that's 10 days ago It's very important Very prescient you might say a new analysis of more than 50 previously secret corporate-backed scientific studies is raising troubling questions about a history of regulatory reliance on such research in assessing the safety of the widely used weed-killing chemical known as glyphosate, the key ingredient in the popular Roundup herbicide. In a 187-page report released on Friday, researchers from the Institute of Cancer Research at the Medical University of Vienna in Austria said a thorough review of 53 safety studies submitted to regulators by large chemical companies showed that most do not comply with modern international standards for scientific rigour and lack the types of tests most able to detect cancer risks. The quality of these studies, not of all, but of many of these studies, is very poor. The health authorities accepted some of these very poor studies as informative and acceptable, which is not justified from a scientific point of view. Those were the words of Siegfried Nassmuller, the lead author of the analysis. He was speaking to The Guardian. Glyphosate is the most widely used herbicide in the world and it's particularly popular with farmers growing common food crops. But there is heated debate in many countries about whether or not glyphosate herbicides should continue to be used due to concerns that may cause cancer. Now, my next guest has just published an outstanding book on this subject, and a very timely one. It's called Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. And I'm briefly going to read a paragraph from the introduction this is Stephanie's own words. Over the past few decades, an alarming rise in many chronic diseases across the globe has occurred, especially in countries that adopt a Western-style diet based on industrialised agriculture. Many of these diseases have an autoimmune component. They include Alzheimer's disease, autism, celiac disease, diabetes, encephalitis, inflammatory bowel disease and obesity. Something terrible seems to be affecting every living thing on the planet, the insects, the animals and the health of human beings, including children. Something hiding in plain sight. While we can't reduce all environmental and health problems to one insidious thing, I believe there is a common denominator. That common denominator is glyphosate. 
let's welcome Stephanie Seneff, a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artifi- Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. Stephanie holds a degree in biology with a minor in food and nutrition, and she is the author of Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. Stephanie, welcome back. It's late 2018 since you were last on the programme. It's nice to have you back on. How are you? I'm doing fine. And thanks Thank for the you. thanks for the advanced copy of the book. It's incredibly timely. Your relationship with glyphosate, if I could put it in those terms, it goes back quite a few years back to I think the early part of the last decade. Is that right? That is right. Yes, I was looking for the reason why the autism rates were going up in the United States and uh, I was looking for five years before I found glyphosate. And when I found it, I knew I had hit a home run. So I've never looked back. I basically dropped everything I was doing and started studying glyphosate since then. And what I found is astonishing, much more than autism, obviously. Give us a 101. Give us a little 101, a little introduct- introductory guide even to glyphosate. What is it? Right. How, how long has it been oh, around uh, for? Yeah, okay. So it's the um, active ingredient in the herbicide Roundup. It's used extensively in the food supply, especially uh, in the Western countries. So, so especially this, uh, most especially the United States. We use more glyphosate per person than any other c- country on the planet. And uh, we, we have 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's glyphosate consumption in the United States. And we're a very sick population, as you probably know. Obesity, diabetes, lots of autism. Um, struggling to manage to pay, pay for the health care costs, which are skyrocketing all, all the time. And the government is, you know, fighting over how to how to pay for it. Uh, and we don't step back and say, hey, maybe we're poisoning our population. And that's why we're so sick. And that's what we need to do. And I'm very upset with my country because the EPA is just looking the other way. They just think this chemical's awesome because it's so safe for humans and it works so great on the weeds, kills all plants except those that have been engineered to resist it. It's unregulated. People can just go down and buy it, kill their dandelions in their yard while their child is playing and think nothing of it because they think it's safe. So when you think something's safe and it's pervasive and it's all over the food supply, it's in the air, it's in the, it's in the rain, it's in the soil. I mean, it's basically, you can't avoid it if you live in this country, no matter how hard you try. And so uh, we're being poisoned. We don't know it. The government denies that it's happening and, and it's a catastrophe um, unfolding. Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's been it's been some time since this subject came up on this program for, for obvious reasons. Everything is COVID these days, but this is hugely important and maybe in some ways maybe maybe linked to what's going on in terms of you know people getting very ill from an infection or maybe some people. I know not everybody gets ill from coronavirus, but maybe we're more susceptible to infections because of things like glyphosate. Before it's we, it's funny you should say that because I, I have been talking along those lines, and I when I look at the data on on which countries are being hit by hard by COVID, it lines up very well with the countries that are using a lot of glyphosate. And I can look point to the United States and Brazil, which are two leaders in the in the um, you know GMO food industry, heavy use of glyphosate, and both of those countries are having a hard time gaining control of um, COVID. And in the UK is another country that heavily uses glyphosate and has a COVID problem. Uh, in my book, I have a whole chapter on. Uh, on the immune system. And I show, uh, I explain how glyphosate is going to disrupt the immune system and weaken the innate immunity, which then causes the virus to be able to gain the upper hand in the fight. And then the body turns on the, um, all, all, all the, the immune system responds with all the fireworks because it can't re- remove the virus because the immune cells are sick. And therefore it starts collateral damage in the lungs 
we actually, the people who died, they get killed by the immune system, not by the virus. The immune system's reaction is, is too strong. And that's interesting in light of what we're hearing from doctors like Sacharit Bhakti and, and others about what the about what the jabs might do. But we, we might have time for that later on. We might not because we're, we're here to talk about the book. And I'm saying this, Stephanie, and I mean it. Um, it's rare that I read a book written by a PhD that's very readable. You know, oh, that, a, that, a, that a layman can read it. And I'm not selling myself short. I'm not stupid. But at the same time, it, no, it is. It's very readable. Um, our listeners will be screaming, what, what's going on? We thought the it was settled in 2015. We thought it was settled that this is a carcinogen, that it's dangerous. We might come back to that. Can you explain to us in those layman terms? You, you, you said a minute ago, it's claimed that it kills the weeds, but that it mm-hmm. doesn't kill the genetically engineered vegetable or plant that it is designed to protect. Um, I, I know you believe it does and you make a compelling argument in the book. Can you explain to me in simple terms, how does it do that? How does it affect us on a physical level? What does it do? Right. So the key the key thing they've identified as an enzyme that it severely suppresses is something called EPSP synthase, which is an enzyme in a pathway, biological pathway called the shikimate pathway, a very, very important biological pathway in plants that is produces uh, essential nutrients for the plants. And plants die if that pathway is broken. And so glyphosate kills all plants that way. The ones that have been engineered, they've inserted a bacterial gene that happens to be a form of that enzyme that is resistant to glyphosate. And they put that gene into the plants, into the crops for the GMO corn and soy and canola and sugar beets. These crops have all been engineered through GMO technology, genetic engineering, to uh, resist glyphosate, which makes it very convenient to grow the crop because you can spray the glyphosate all over the crop and it doesn't die. You don't have to be selective to just spray the weeds. And the, the result, of course, is that the glyphosate ends up in the food supply. And because the argument is that our cells don't have this pathway, we don't have the entire shikimate pathway in our cells. None of it is there. And that's what makes this it's so pleasing that this chemical is so safe because our cells don't have that enzyme that it disrupts. And this is the argument they use. It's a, it's a nice argument. It sounds good. But what they overlook is that our gut, back, our gut microbes have that pathway and they use that pathway to produce essential nutrients that we ourselves can't make. So we end up with a lot of uh, deficiencies in critical nutrients and as well we get an imbalance in the gut microbiome that leads to um, inflammatory gut and leaky gut and, and all kinds of, of gut problems. And we're seeing you know lots and lots of papers coming out these days about various imbalances in the gut and how they're associated with different diseases. and. We've become very aware that our gut microbes play a very important role in our biology since they've been disrupted by glyphosate. Before that, we didn't notice them because they were working fine. Now we see that the gut is very, very important and that the microbes are essential to our health and that they are disrupted in a big way by glyphosate. You mentioned earlier on Brazil, you mentioned the US and you mentioned the UK. And you said something about, you know, spraying it on the poppies or on the dandelions or on the weeds to protect the um, the garden flowers or whatever. And then you said, and a child might become exposed to it. I, I, as you were saying that, I had this image of, you know, you're never more than a few feet away from a Coca-Cola bottle or you're never more than um, 500 metres from a McDonald's. How close to us is this this chemical? How How prevalent is it really? It's amazing, actually. It's everywhere. You know, of course, uh, Canada has tested a lot of different foods. The United States takes the attitude that they know it's in the food 
uh, if they discover that the levels are higher than the regulatory limits, they raise the limits. So they don't worry about whether it might be toxic. They just keep raising the limits that are allowed in different foods so that when you sell the food, you're not breaking the law. Canada's done that too. In fact, very recently, Canada raised the limits on several food items. But Canada measured glyphosate levels in a whole bunch of foods, over 8,000 different foods. And uh, uh, Tony Mitra, who's a friend of mine, he was the one who pushed them into doing it. And he wrote a book. They gave him the data and he wrote a book called Toxic Foods of North America. And um, it's a... uh, it's a revealing book because he shows, in fact, that non-GMO foods in many cases have higher levels, even significantly higher levels of glyphosate in them than GMO foods. Things like garbanzo beans and chickpeas, sky-high levels of glyphosate in those food products from Canada because they're sprayed right before harvest as a desiccant. And the wheat is sprayed, the cor- the barley, um, so many different crops, some of the seed crops, so some of the oils. So lots of crops are sprayed right before harvest with glyphosate as a desiccant to help synchronize the, uh, the the release of seeds so they can increase the yield. Maybe they're chasing a, a snowstorm because in Canada, you know, it's cold. You could lose the crop to frost. Yeah. So you can harvest early this way. Um, so there's some benefits. And their argument is, well, the glyphosate so safe for humans, we don't care if it goes into the food supply. And so people are getting, in fact, people who get gluten, they get gluten intolerance because glyphosate is sprayed on the wheat right before harvest. We have an epidemic in gluten intolerance today. It was something I never knew as a child. And I think it's because the glyphosate is uh, getting into the wheat supply and um, and then uh, causing uh, the symptoms, causing the disease. And I talk about how that happens in my book. Um, but people then switch over to eating more beans and then they get more glyphosate because there's higher levels in many cases in the chickpeas and the garbanzo beans and the lentils than there is in the in the wheat. We are talking about um, Dr. Stephanie Seneff's latest um, book, It's Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. And um, no, it's excellent. You, I'm on page 67 today, you talked about how you know, the scientists um, are starting to push back against this, which is a positive thing. We'll talk about that as well in a few minutes. Um, the book, by the way, is published by Chelsea Green Publishing publishing here in the UK, available at all good bookstores. It's a lifesaver, this, folks. I can't recommend this book highly enough. I've been reading it for the last couple of weeks. If you're buying vegetables and fruit from supermarkets here in the UK, you're exposing yourself to this chemical, aren't you? Yes, I would say so, because UK uses quite a bit, uses a lot of glyphosate, maybe not as bad as the US, I'm not sure, but um, they're definitely one of the big players in the in that space. And tell me this, Stephanie, you know, the, 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 I suppose the, the amazing thing for any journalist is, even in 2021, you, you look back and you think back in the, the 70s, you know, these companies, as The Guardian said, these companies were were basically producing their own studies. I mean, this is astonishing to me. But you think, okay, they got away with it in the 70s, a bit more murky, a bit, bit more murky back then. No internet, shady deals being done, and governments were maybe easier to be corrupted and perverted. How in the name of God, Stephanie, in this day and age, are these companies still getting away with producing their own studies to regulators and getting away with it? I don't know. It actually really upsets me that governments are, are so easily um, duped into accepting things, these toxic chemicals. And, you know, we're rolling them out one after the other, and so many of them are grossly inadequately studied. We just have, you know, a, an amazing ability to deny that anything bad could go wrong when we don't know. And, and we want to not know because we, we see how convenient it's going to be to have this product. So we want it so much from the standpoint of convenience that we overlook uh, the possibility of 
toxic re reactions that we haven't seen yet. And so we don't do the studies. Uh, and we, if we do them, we, you know, they're twisted. If the industry is doing it, they, they kind of color the story so that it looks like it's okay. You know, they were able to really change how, how the, when they did the studies back then, they, they set up uh, rules. For example, that you only had to look for three months. And if you didn't see toxicity after three months, you were good to go. Seralini in France, you know, did a study that was over the entire lifespan of the rats. And he, he gave them low doses of glyphosate for their entire lifespan. After three months, they weren't looking too bad. You couldn't really tell the difference between the exposed rats and the unexposed rats. At four months, you started to see problems. And by the end of their lifespan, you had massive mammary tumors in the females. You had kidney damage, liver damage, reproductive issues, and early, uh, early death. All these things showed up, but they took time. So if you just stop at three months, you don't realize this. it's a slow kill. Glyphosate is a slow kill, and that's one of the problems with it. Take this that they time. missed it because of that. Again, the parallels with vaccines that people are concerned about at the moment, you know, you know, with, with, with no long-term studies, the parallel there is very interesting. Stephanie Seneff is our guest. We are going to talk about other aspects of this. Liver disease, of course, is a big problem. Toxic legacy is the book, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. Now, again, we'll go back to 2015 then, Stephanie. So you, you'll have listeners right now going, Ah, come on, I thought this was all settled back in 2015. You know, we learned that. Yes. What happened? Now, I know, but many of our listeners won't know. What happened in 2015 that we were excited about and what's happened since then? Yes, well, it started with the IARC just uh, claiming that glyphosate is a probable carcinogen. And that, you know, of course, really upset Monsanto and they fought back. And the EPA said, no, no, the, I the IARC is wrong. Glyphosate is not a probable carcinogen. The US, US EPA. Um, but because of that, I think it really opened the opportunity for people to introduce lawsuits. And so you started seeing these lawsuits against Monsanto claiming that glyphosate had caused non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and uh, that started with Dwayne Lee Johnson, who was he worked in schoolyards and the glyphosate was the only chemical he used and he used it in the schoolyards. And he got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at a young age. He was in his early 40s. And he had a really good story. And then what came out was a lot of shenanigans on Monsanto's part. First of all, in terms of not you know, denying that it had anything to do with his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and then not helping him out. And then dirt came out about Monsanto um, that became punitive damages was actually a big part of the, um, of the uh, solution. It was a, a jury trial and they awarded him a huge amount of money. And it was a real shockwave because that was the first time that uh, Monsanto had ever lost of one of these lawsuits. So it really opened the gate. And, and then there were two others that followed also with large jury awards, you know, jury based awards. And then and now it's like huge numbers of people. It's, it's in the tens of thousands, you know, of people, class action lawsuits. It's a big thing going on right now. And uh, Bayer, of course, bought Monsanto and they've been struggling with how to deal with all these lawsuits. In fact, I heard and I hope this happens is that Bayer is considering stopping to sell glyphosate to the residential market in the United States because it's mostly people, uh, most of the uh, lawsuits are people who used it residentially. And this is not because it's not harming the farmers, but it's because the farmers are exposed to so many other chemicals, they can always point the finger at the other chemical and say glyphosate's not the one that caused your problem. You so know, it's much, Stephanie, much harder to win if you're a farmer. If you're a farmer, it's much harder to win. Do you believe that at the top of these organizations, Bayer, and it's obviously you know, ingested, it's taken in Monsanto now. Do you, at the top, is there any evidence? Will it be, will it be, will it be hearsay? Will it be circumstantial? Do they know 
what this product does and how dangerous it is to the environment, to insects, to people. Do you think they know this? This is a big question, and I would love to be a fly on the wall and find out because I yeah. think they must. But of course, there's deniability. I mean, they 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 act as if they they believe that it's perfectly safe. Um, you know, Anthony Samsel worked with me on many of our we wrote many papers together. He's a toxicologist. He's an interesting person, and he actually got the EPA to give him huge stacks of materials that were from Monsanto's early studies through the Freedom of Information Act. And we based some of our papers on those studies. And one in particular that struck me, and I I wrote about it in the book, was a bluegill sunfish study that Monsanto was commissioned by Monsanto. And they exposed the bluegill sunfish to radio-labeled glyphosate so that they could trace it. And then they looked for radio-labeling the tissues of the sunfish, and they found it. So that meant they found that glyphosate was getting into the tissues in some form. Maybe it had been changed into something else. They didn't know. So then they did. They, they measured for glyphosate, and they came up short. They only got 20% of the radio label identified as glyphosate, so 80% went missing. Then they got the brilliant idea of adding enzymes that would break down proteins into individual amino acids. And when they did that, they increased the yield to 70%. 70% of the radio label could be explained as glyphosate, still intact as the glyphosate molecule. And what they concluded was perhaps the glyphosate was, in their words, incorporated into the protein. And this is very, very important to me because this is the basis of my book is that glyphosate does get incorporated into proteins by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine. This is very technical biology, but very, very important because the amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. That's the famous DNA code that tells you which amino acid goes where. And when you see the code for glycine, you could slip and make a mistake and put glyphosate in its place because glyphosate is a complete glycine molecule, except that it has extra material stuck on its nitrogen atom. And this is what I think is happening. And this is why I think glyphosate is a slow kill because it accumulates in your tissues throughout your body and it messes up your proteins. And certain proteins are very, very sensitive to glyphosate and they won't work properly. You'll get misfolded proteins, which will give you Alzheimer's disease. You'll get enzymes that don't work anymore, and that'll give you mitochondrial stress. So there's many different things that I talked about in my book. The liver disease is quite a a good story because PEPCK is extremely closely modeled after EPSP synthase, the one that it famously disrupts. I think it's disrupting this enzyme PEPCK in in the liver in the same way, and that's causing fatty liver disease, among other things. Breaches the blood brain barrier, do you think? Yes, I do. Yes, it does. In fact, it gets taken up uh, along amino acid uptake channels because it is an amino acid. It, it basically takes advantage of a system that's already in place. By virtue of being an amino acid, it gets to places that other molecules would not get to so easily. We've got Stephanie Seneff on the program, by the way, PhD, MIT, uh, the legendary MIT, Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment. And and it is, you know, look, I've read the book, I've got it here in my hand, I've got sec- sections marked for us to chat about, we've talked about liver, about brain problems. Um, it is a global killer, really, and that sounds very dramatic, melodramatic. But but David Keane has been on, on Twitter. Lots of tweets on this now. Lots of tweets. It's BBG Richie. By the way, follow Stephanie on Twitter. Uh, there's only one Stephanie Seneff. Well, there's only one Stephanie Seneff anyway. But there's only one, uh-huh. on, there's only one on Twitter. Uh, Stephanie's surname is S-E-N-E-F-F, right? Stephanie Seneff, yes. PhD. Follow Stephanie. Uh, buy the book, by the way. It's hugely important that you know this information. David says, Richie, if you have some time 
Uh, can you ask Stephanie about the dying bees and wasps? Because everywhere I walk lately, yes. all I see is dying bees on the floor, and I mean hundreds. So that's one thing, dying. But you get into in the book, uh, and it's very important, you get into the disappearance of um, insects. We used to be bothered all the time by insects. Um, mm-hmm. They don't exist anymore. You're certainly yeah. not having to um, use the windshield, uh, the screen wash, to clean your windshield uh, when you're out driving, Stephanie. Something's right, up. Thanks. Yeah, you're ready for me to come in. Yeah, I know it's amazing. And in fact, I was watching, you know, the, the bees, uh, of course, we have a bee colony collapse sy- syndrome disaster waiting to happen here because we depend upon the bees for fertilizing the crops uh, and for the pollen. And um, they're going to go away and we're going to be in trouble unless we come up with robotic bees, which is what we're working on now, which is so sad. And the butterflies, we used to have so many monarch butterflies that, you know, huge numbers in this country and they go all the way down to Mexico. And they would, and the monarch butterfly. It was so clear to me that glyphosate was a major player in the monarch butterfly demise because they go, they eat the um, the milkweed, which is a weed that grows in the corn crops, and the corn crops are sprayed with glyphosate. So the milkweed is picking up glyphosate, and then the the butterflies are eating the glyphosate in the milkweed, and they they die of metabolic failure on their way down to Mexico. It seemed obvious to me that that was the reason, and yet they're not mentioning that because you know everyone thinks um, glyphosate is safe, and therefore they don't consider it as a possibility. It, it's quite amazing, and the, the birds are dying too. Of course, we you know birds are going down um, down in numbers in, in the UK as well as in the United States, and um, and all kinds of different insects, the the, uh, the frogs, you know, the amphibians. Those guys are really in trouble. Some forty-one percent of the species are under threat of extinction right now. They blame it on climate a, change, though. They're saying climate but, change. What do you say to that? They oh, say, they say climate, climate change. change. Well, of course, <laughs> I think glyphosate is playing a role in climate change, and we don't hear about that either. Glyphosate actually suppresses a critical enzyme involved in photosynthesis. And, and you know, we have, um, if you suppress photosynthesis, you suppress the ability to capture carbon from the air and put it into the soil, which is really crucial for removing carbon dioxide from the air. And it also disrupts nitrogen as well. So you get nitrous oxide. Uh, gets released in the air. Nitrous oxide is 100 times worse than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. So I think we should be looking at agriculture as a major player in the crisis that we face with climate change. Interesting stuff. This is one, I think it's probably the only area where you and I would would disagree. And I'm as I'm as left wing now, Stephanie, as anybody you'll ever meet. But I, 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 I don't buy the, you know, the man-made CO2 is um, changing the climate, you know, irre- irre- irretrievably. I don't personally buy it, but then I have to I have to follow up Stephanie by saying I'm not a scientist. I just mm-hmm. don't personally. I I think when they just ignore the sun, you know, which they do, they ignore solar activity, and I think you can't do that. You've got to factor in solar activity. But I hear you loud and clear, and I know that environmental damage and um, and and climate change uh, can be. Um, intertwined, but are also separate issues. And the, the the damage you make a very compelling case in the book for the damage that glyphosate is doing to um, to the environment. Oh, the questions are flying in, Stephanie. Um, baby food and mm. glyphosate is it showing up? Yes, it is in baby mm. food. Unfortunately, mm. uh, you definitely need to serve your baby organic food only. And if you can't find organic baby food, I would suggest you buy organic food and make your own. And, and you know, the argument, every time we talk about organics, the argument keeps coming back, and I'm sure you've had this a thousand times. It's too expensive. 
you know, families on low income or middle income, supermarkets are cheap. It's a one-stop shop, Stephanie, right? You go in, you're under pressure, you're working, the wife is working, um, you've barely enough time to spend with the children, so you go to the frozen sections of the supermarkets and you just buy that food, right? That's what they're saying. I know. Me. I mean, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that people, it's hard for people to appreciate the importance of eating organic. I think that's the problem. They're trying to weigh the benefit, you know, cost benefit ratio to think, well, it, how different could it be? I look at this this piece of food over here and this one over here, they look the same. One's organic, one's not. But the one that's organic costs a lot more. And there's a temptation to buy the other one because it looks the same, it tastes the same. You know, We can't taste the glyphosate, unfortunately. No. Uh, and the problem is, and you don't notice any effect either when you eat it because it's a slow kill. So it's very hard for you to realize that you're starting to gain weight because you're eating glyphosate. You know, you're getting fat and you can't seem to get a hold of, you know, your weight. Uh, because you're eating glyphosate. And if you could appreciate that, you know, then when you get into all the health issues, diabetes, for example, is an epidemic. You don't want diabetes, you know. That's an expensive disease, too, because you sort of have to take these drugs, and insulin prices are going through the roof these days. So, you know, you, when you start to consider the cost of food versus the cost of medical care, I think you need to get your brain wrapped around the idea that it's worth the extra cost for the organic food in order to protect your your family from diseases later on in life, which are, of course, very debilitating as well. All covered in the book. Uh, it's incredible. Every Everything you've discussed so far is covered in the book. Diet, um, what you can do, eating real foods, all of this is covered in this book, which is an expose of glyphosate, toxic legacy, how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment. We have Stephanie Seneff live on the line from, from Hawaii, Stephanie. Fantastic. Yes, <laughs> a beautiful place. I'm very happy to be here. Never visited. A little oasis in this crazy world. <laughs> I can only imagine, yeah. It's a bit different than Boston, right? But, uh, yes. But, but it's lovely to be speaking to you from uh, from there. Um, will, will, will any of these cases, do you think, will they eventually get to court? The wheels of justice can grind very slowly, can't they? But these, you know, private citizens who you know, believe, and, and quite rightly, I think, I think you've made the, the case in the book, that they've suffered as a result of exposure to glyphosate. Do you hold out some hope they'll ever get justice? Right. I mean, my hope is that I think there's two things I'm very hopeful about. One is that just the population, the general population becoming aware and then deciding that it's worth it to, to spend the extra money and feed their family organic. Some of them are going to be activists that they're willing to start harassing their local government and say, hey, you can't spray that glyphosate on my child's schoolyard. So to get really close and personal with the glyphosate in your family, maybe even have to move because you're next door to a farm where they're spraying glyphosate. People will, individuals will wake up and take action to protect their family. And as they do that, the the, uh, the demand for the food will go down, for the toxic food will go down. And the farmers eventually will be forced to grow healthy food because that's what the, pop, the consumers want. Consumer pressure can be very powerful. The other side of it is the lawsuits. I'm re really hoping for somebody to win a lawsuit on autism, to say glyphosate caused my child's autism. Once that happens, I think it'll open a floodgate because if there's going to start to be lawsuits on glyphosate and autism, thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, that's going to take them down. You know, so I'm already seeing really exciting results. You know, the idea yeah. that that a Bayer would decide not to sell glyphosate to the residential population of this country because of all these lawsuits would be a tremendous win, you know, because and of course, that's going to teach the population too. hey, maybe this stuff is toxic. Maybe if I'm worried about it on my lawn, I should worry about it in my food. And they'll start to push towards this organic food concept. 
we need to get the population aware. The government, I think, is going to be the last to yield. It just seems like they are so thoroughly bought. I mean, the industry just knows how to throw money at the problem and prevent the government from ever taking the steps that are needed until they're forced by the consumer. So as the consumers pressure the government enough, maybe eventually they'll fold. But I think they're going to be the regulation is going to be the last um, the last step. I think it's going to follow everything else, the lawsuits and the uh, consumer demand. We talked over the years about lobbying, of course, and it's it's poison, not just in the US, it's poison here as well. It really is, as is this almost vaudevillian idea that a, an industry could present its own studies to regulators mm-hmm. and say, hey, our product is safe because we say so. It's astonishing. That seems so crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, it when you say it out loud. <laughs> you think, this can't be going on, but but it is. It's it's really upside down uh, stuff. Because I mentioned Hawaii, I'd be it would be remiss of me not to to ask you about what it's been like over there in the so-called pandemic. I'm a skeptic, Stephanie. I mean, that's why I do this program. It's not that I don't believe anything. I do believe some things, but um, whatever COVID is, and I I do believe I'm certain that it it has been a problem for the people you described. You know, maybe the people who've been exposed to glyphosate you know, yes. and the other product. No doubt, look, serious, for anybody with comorbidities and for very senior people. But the data the governments have presented, and, and they're still presenting this data, seems to show that the great majority of people are barely touched by it. You know, you might be ill for a couple of days. So, so I wanted to ask you, how's it been in Hawaii? What's the local response been to it? How serious is it taken there? And what are the restrictions? What have the restrictions been like in, in that great place? Yeah, well, Hawaii, the government has been pretty uh, um, pretty strong on trying to keep the COVID out of Hawaii. Um, they've had very you know, strict regulation about, for example, travel. Even if you've had a vaccine, you still have to get the test before you can come into Hawaii. Of course, the things change over time. They, and face, you know, wearing face masks was, was mandatory. They finally uh, s- said you don't have to wear a face mask outdoors. They actually passed a law that said you don't have to, which was quite delightful because they were making us wear face masks at a, at a farmer's market that's open air outside, which is stupid in my opinion. So um, I, it frustrates me that our government's uh, reaction to this disease has been completely inappropriate in my opinion. There's never a word about you know getting out in the sunlight because vitamin D deficiency is going to cause increased risk of a bad outcome. And as you said, obesity, diabetes, all these cofactors, you know, these comorbidities that are increasing your risk of having a bad, a bad case are all strongly correlated. They've been rising dramatically in the population, exactly in step with the dramatic rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. Very, very strong correlations. And um, so I think, you know, the comorbidities that um, cause you to have a bad outcome in COVID are the same things that are being caused by glyphosate. So it really points to glyphosate to me as being the real problem. And countries like Bhutan that use very little glyphosate have, a, have no problem with COVID-19. They don't even notice really the disease. So you look at the countries around the world that are hardest hit and have the highest death rate. Those are the countries that are using lots of glyphosate. And of course, the new variants are coming out of those countries as well. India, Brazil, United States, UK, those are all heavy users of glyphosate. And they're showing up with all these variants that are that are causing people distress because they think they're going to have to get another round of the vaccine. And you don't get me going on the vaccine because I'm very, very upset about the way the government has handled this in terms of just the vaccine is the only solution to this problem and forcing it down the throats of the population. I think that is extremely misguided. 
And we're seeing, Stephanie, again, you know, I, I would never, I, I take, I do take a bit of pride in what I do. And I take pride in not making any statements that can't be supported. If, if it's conjecture, I will always say, look, this is just my silly opinion. But we know from the yellow card reporting system here in the UK, and we know from the VAERS reporting system in the US, that these jabs are doing a lot of damage. They are. That's just an absolute fact. And I've been lucky enough on this programme to have had Martin Kuldorf on from Harvard, Sacharit Bakhti on, others, Dolores Cahill, others. I could I could name them all day long. And they're saying, look, these things actually don't do the job that, that, that vaccines kind of traditionally do. These are a bit different. And that, oh, absolutely. And, and these spike proteins they talk about and how, you know, you have the jab today and you might be okay, but it might prime your immune system. Not everybody, mm-hmm. of course, it won't do it to everybody, but some of us would be susceptible in the future if we encountered another pathogen or another respiratory infection. Our immune systems could go into overdrive and cause us catastrophic uh, damage. And none of this has been discussed on the mainstream media, Stephanie. They just won't I know, talk about it's it. really frustrating, isn't it? I actually am very, very upset about the vaccines and I have been reading a lot. I've, I published a paper, a long paper, together with Dr. Greg Nye, um, we published a paper that the title is worse than the disease question mark is the first part of the title. And then I forget the rest of it, but it's uh, available on the web as a um, peer reviewed paper. And um, so we looked deep into the messenger RNA technology and it is really, really frightening in my opinion. And, and as you said, the spike protein, you know, they're forcing your body to make antibodies to the spike protein. And in fact, if you are immune compromised, let's say you have cancer and you're taking cancer, you know, chemotherapy, you are immune compromised. And this means that you're going to have trouble if you catch the disease, for sure. You know, you won't be able to fight back. But when you get the vaccine, it can force you to make antibodies that you can't use because your immune system is so sick. The antibodies don't work. You, you still get the disease. And what happens is that the uh, the virus is able to mutate. It, it learns. It gets to see the antibodies up close and personal, and it gets to learn how to change its shape so that it becomes resistant to the antibodies, which will then mean you get this like the Delta variant. Uh, you're going to get variants that the vaccine doesn't work against. People will all have these antibodies that are now useless because the virus has weaseled its way out of a jam. This is what's happening now. And the United States is like, you know, the tremendous pressure to get the vaccine, thinking that we're going to somehow overcome these variants. But the vaccine is what's forcing the, the, the virus to be able to to learn how to get out of a jam and how to uh, and force us to be getting these vaccines, you know, every every six months and another round of vaccines. And, and they're very debilitating. Never as you ended. said, there's incredible uh, side effects showing up in, in the virus database. And, and there's just a, an unwillingness for the mainstream to admit that this is what's happening. It's very frightening. Stephanie, you just said something. I've got to go back there. This is, if I heard this right, it's, um, you've spooked me there if I heard this right. Um, you're, first of all, folks, Stephanie is a senior research scientist, MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, but she's got a degree in biology and a minor in food and nutrition. So listen to her. She's got no reason to say any of this. This is her considered educated opinion. You said something that spooked me. What I learned, I did biology until in high school, until I was 17, right? And I remember some of it. And I remember, you know, learning about infections and about viruses. And the standard understanding, or the understanding was, that when a virus mutated, it generally scaled down in seriousness, that it became uh, different, but not as virulent as the previous Mm. strain. Did you say to me that you're concerned that the vaccines might be helping the viruses in a way that rather than scale down, 
in seriousness that the mutations might scale up? Well, actually, what I'm saying is that it will mutate in such a way as to not be uh, not match the antibodies. Right. And it may actually scale down. I mean, I actually have some hope. It's possible. I can imagine, hopefully, that the virus is mutating in a direction that's going to make it more benign, which is really what it should do, right? Yeah. I mean, we can. Ho- I, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen, that it'll just become something like the flu. It won't be so serious because it'll figure out it doesn't want to kill the host. So if it is if it is killing the host, it needs to change. And and these coronaviruses are able to mutate quickly. So I'm actually hoping that it will mutate into a form that's less virulent and we can just get on with life. And I also agree with you that the people who are being killed by the virus are typically, in many cases, close to death anyway, because they're so sick. You know, they're old, they're feeble, they've got all kinds of diseases. Um, they wouldn't have much life left anyway. Uh, it's sad to say that for anybody to die, but the vaccine is killing young people who are healthy. It's killing, you know, teens even. It's quite frightening to think that when you know that you would have extremely low chance of dying from the virus, but you died from the vaccine, that is really criminal in my opinion, to have that happen. What about your, um, you had a transition, of course, in the White House. Um, Biden, let's go. Let's get back to glyphosate, right? Because it's it's hugely important. Yes, and I want that me- is our topic. That is our topic. <laughs> and, and, very, um, and I want to mention. In the I know, well. but it's all it's all present, isn't it? It's omnipresent, really. Um, toxic legacy: How the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment. Brand new book, Stephanie Senef, uh, who's on the line with us from Hawaii. You need to know about this. So I'm telling you, get out and get the book, read it, uh, talk about it, talk about the issues. Um, solutions in the book as well. Very readable. And solutions are important in changing your diet, Stephanie, and managing your your diet and eating real foods. Um, yes. You know, we've been exposed to glyphosate for so many years, but um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't turn it around. You can't turn your own body around. Absolutely. I think that if you start eating healthy foods, and this means real whole foods, real foods, and organic, certified organic foods, um, you will see health benefits very quickly, I think. Um, you know, for example, things like urinary tract infections, they'll go away. And, and people are getting, you know, lots and lots of people are getting UTIs that are not treatable anymore. People are getting that that the um, resistance to the uh, to the antibiotics, which can be really a problem, right? But those yeah. will go away because I think those are really uh, tightly connected to glyphosate. So you'll see some immediate benefit of some things that are quite annoying in your, in your daily life. Stephanie, it's um, it's brilliant. We've got about um, six or seven minutes left. I don't want to to waste them. Um, on on uh, on the future, I, I mentioned Biden for a reason. I know it's a stupid question, but I have to ask it anyway. Is there any reason to think that the current administration might take this a bit more seriously because it is deadly serious? The glyphosate. Yeah. I don't know. I am discouraged with both sides of the government right now. I feel like that they're not going to help. I, I've been frustrated. I mean, I, a group of us went down to Washington, D.C. and spoke to the EPA. There were 10 of us who went on our own nickel. You know, we weren't funded and presented our evidence. This was a few years back um, that glyphosate is really toxic. And the EPA was extremely lukewarm in their response to us and nothing happened after that. I mean, it was it's very frustrating when you you work um, when you work with the government and you get and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. I I I'm, I shouldn't discourage people because anyone who can stomach it should do it. It's a very painful process to go through all of this effort and to get nothing back. You know, it, they they seem to be like a stone wall. I mean, I just don't understand how they they can't hear it, hear the message. But it does feel to me like um, government regulation is not going to be the thing that fixes the problem. I no. think it's going to be grassroots 
bottom up um, people in the indiv- and at the local level. At the local level, you can have impact, actually. If you are someone who's involved with local government, work on your local government to, for example, stop using glyphosate in public places, particularly the schoolyards. That's something that can be achieved, I think, at the local level. But I think at the federal level, um, there's so much um, control over those people by the industry that it will be extremely hard to get them to budge. That's just my opinion. I hope I'm wrong, but... It's how you see it at the moment. And something that comes up on this programme when we talk about COVID, but it applies to glyphosate as well. You're a very, very accomplished scientist, you know, peer-reviewed papers, a great academic institution, MIT. And yet in recent years, not just you, Stephanie, you're you're, you're not a victim here, but there's been a tendency increasingly to marginalise scientists, even with great you know, as I said, with with great accreditation, like yourself, uh, by the media. Has that been a big shock for you over the years, you know? Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, I was very surprised at the beginning when I realized that there's such a a strong um, mainstream control over the messaging. And when people so-called step out of line, um, there's a tremendous... place, uh, industry in place to, to, to knock them down. So whenever someone starts to say something that looks like it's going to hurt some kind of industry's bottom line, they'll go after them. And certainly I've been, uh, I mean, if you just start, you know, looking for me on the web, you're going to find it. things that are going to make yeah. you feel like that I'm, I'm discredited and you know, you'll decide, well, I don't really want to know what she has to say because these people say she's a wacko. I mean, this kind of thing, right. They're going to portray me they are attacking me and and I just let it happen. I mean, I feel like it's, I'm going to keep on speaking out because I'm doing the research. I have the science that backs up what I'm saying and I'm going to keep on saying it. And and so I'll let the, you know, everything fall in place, however it does, but people need to wake up and they need to listen to those people. They need to actually seek out those people who are being discredited because they're the ones that have the most to say that's based on science. That's why the industry's threatened and that's why they go after them. So it's actually kind of, in my opinion, <laughs> a benefit. If they're going to go after me, that's going to give me more visibility. And then some people will actually pay attention to what I'm saying. And then some people will actually believe what I'm saying and take action. Yeah. It's going to be a slow process. And we're fighting a very big enemy no, with a lot of resources. I think there's still enough people who, when they see the attacks, that they look and they think, well, that, that lady looks uh, pretty nice to me. Oh, wow, she's <laughs> MIT. Uh, she's, uh, you know, she's um, got a she, big job. So I'll, I'll have a look. I think there's still that innate curiosity. Why are they going after that woman? I, I really do. I mean, I've had other academics on this programme who've been chased, you know, not physically, obviously, but chased around the internet and harassed because they've um, went against the, uh, well, the so-called consensus, of course, because you don't know uh, how many academics and PhDs will will feel as you do, but are reluctant to say anything in case they lose tenure. You might lose tenure or, or it might be worse, but you certainly won't be alone. You know, there's no doubt about right. that. I think there are many people who have some thoughts that are different from their public um, statements that they're keeping to themselves because they don't want to be attacked. And that's really unfortunate. It, the, the process is working because they look at people like me and they say, I don't want to be there. And therefore, I'll just stay quiet, even though I think this, I'll just quietly think it and I won't speak up. And I I mean, shame on them. I think more, the more people that speak up, the more it will reach the point where this whole thing falls apart and they, we realize the population needs to wake up. They need to realize that the, the industry does not have their best interests at heart. 
There's nobody doing more than you uh, to expose glyphosate. This is not something that might harm um, 20 people out of a thousand. This is, that's why I made, I made that stupid analogy earlier on about Coca-Cola and McDonald's. This stuff is everywhere. It's that's everywhere. Right. It's like, um, it's like um, what's that other uh, uh, chemical that we used? We used it for years. We didn't realise how DDT, bad it was. Well done, DDT, which you mentioned in the book, of course, as well, because it's uh, relevant. But also Teflon. You know, Teflon. That's right. Yeah. Jesus, web Teflon. When you think of it, it's only, it was only a couple of years ago. It was, it was a Hollywood movie that that, that right. actually alerted me to the fact that Teflon was dangerous. I saw that too. That was quite well done, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely right. I think they might be making a film about 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 you and your colleagues and some of these lawsuits in the future because um, glyphosate it's deadly. It's a real clear and present danger to your well-being and to the well-being of your loved ones and your community. A toxic legacy, legacy, how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment. Folks, you got to get it. All good bookshops, online and physical bookshops, you will find it published by Chelsea Green Publishing here in the UK. They're very good people, those people. Lovely dealing with them. With them. If there's anything you wanted to mention, Stephanie, before um, we do run out of time, uh, now's the time to do it. It's really good to have you back in the programme again. This is good work. And well done. Thank you. I just want to say in terms of being healthy, my my strategy, which is, of course, eating whole foods, eating high sulfur foods. And I talk a lot about sulfur in my book. It's getting messed up very badly by glyphosate. But sulfur is a very important nutrient and getting out in the sunlight without sunscreen and without sunglasses. The sunlight is very nourishing and people should realize that and should make an effort to make sure um, to get sun exposure, not just for the vitamin D. And I talk about that in my book as well. You can't beat that sunlight. And if you can get zinc and get um, zinc, particularly in vitamin D3, as you mentioned, yes, vitamin C. That's right. Zinc is important, too, for COVID. Yeah, that's right. I, I, again, we're back to we're back to COVID. Listen, thanks mm-hmm. for getting me the advanced copy of the book. I'm going to say the title again, Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment uh, by Stephanie Senef, PhD, who's just been speaking to us from Hawaii. Stephanie, don't leave us so long before you come back. The door's wide open to you. I would be delighted to come back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for that. Have a great rest of the day there in Hawaii. That is Dr. Stephanie Seneff, the author of that book about glyphosate. Yeah, yeah. 2015, uh, they, they, they said in the, the IRC said, yeah, it's a carcinogen. It's deadly. But the empire fought back, didn't it? Recently, not so recently, but acquired by Bayer, of course. That's a company with an amazing history as well, Bayer. None of it good these chemical companies, the things they're doing. That question about do they know, I'm convinced they know. Nobody will convince me otherwise. I can't say for sure. I know, you know. A couple of things I didn't get into on the Richie Richie Allen show. This is the Richie Allen show. A couple of things I didn't get into in the monologue segment of the programme. But one of them was very interesting. I was, I must have been RT yesterday. I was having a squint around before the, the unmentionable football match. And RT... Made, basically uh, published a story around a tweet from the FBI. Let me read the tweet for you. This is where we're going now, right? And this is not about um, terrorism or anything like that. Family members, this is the FBI now, uh, June 11th, July 11th, July 11th, yesterday, 1 o'clock. Family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilisation to violence. Help prevent homegrown, homegrown, violent extremism. Visit, then it gives the website, visit the website to learn how to spot suspicious behaviours and report them to the FBI. (laughs) And it's not about 
domestic terrorism, really. They're using this capital riot, which of course was, when I say of course, this is conjecture, seems to me to be staged, that, that it didn't happen, that it wasn't a bunch of crazy Donald Trump supporters trying to take over the, the government. Um, no, it looked to me like a stand-down thing, that it was all meant to happen. And they're citing this as the reason why, you know, we need to keep an eye on domestic domestic extremism. But really, this is really more about so-called anti-vaxxers, so-called COVID deniers, people who challenge lockdowns, people who challenge the sense, the, the common sense or the efficacy of wearing masks. That's where this is really going. And it's going the same way here in the UK. I've been, you know, my, my, when it comes to predicting things, when it comes to soothsaying, I was never any good for years. Lately, I'm not too bad now at calling the way things are going. I did tell you last year, and if my mate Spiro was still listening, I, I don't know if it was pre-COVID or after COVID, but um, no, it was pre, it was post-COVID. It was post-COVID. I have a couple of contacts who work for Google. Uh, one of them works in the YouTube division of Google. And they warned me that just before the the, 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 the jabs were rolled out, there would be a huge, massive culling of uh basically the social media accounts of, of well-known content creators in the independent media. And that that came true. We did see that. That was spot on, right? We're, that's going to be... that's What will happen in the coming months will make it look like chicken feed what happened last year. What happened last year will pale by comparison to what is coming in terms of censorship in the next six to eight months as they get into September, October, as they get into the winter, as they start telling us that they've got more variants. But, but, but don't panic. We've adapted the jab to deal with this new variant, so we recommend you take this. As they roll out vaccine passports, right? Again, we, we, I saw that coming last spring. I never said vaccine passport because I, I'd never heard of the term. But I did say that people, in my opinion, would be compelled to prove that they were safe and that they were not unclean and that they were not a danger to their fellow man. Listen to the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, speaking in the comments today. And we're publishing a plan today showing the safe and gradual approach that we'll be taking throughout the summer. It includes details of how we'll be encouraging businesses and large events to use certification in high-risk settings to limit the, spread, the risk of spreading the infection how we'll use guidance for those who are clinically extremely vulnerable and details of a review that we'll be conducting in September to assess our preparedness for autumn and winter. Certification. Certification for, for, for big outdoor events and indoor events and all the rest of it. That's where we're going. And uh, I suppose it's time we started looking at solutions to this because there isn't, as far as I can see from, from, from my position here in, uh, in, in Salford here in the northwest, I don't see anything stopping it at the moment. I don't see any barrier to it, really. 
I know it sounds very depressing, doesn't it? It sounds all too depressing, but I don't. Let me thank Wayne Cunnington for coming on the programme and sharing his own very personal story of vaccine injury with us. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know we'll keep in touch and we'll speak again. And thanks to Stephanie Senef, PhD, Toxic Legacy, How the Weed Killer Glyphosate is Destroying Our Health and the Environment is a book that I strongly recommend to you. Um, my playout, my, my music playout system has crashed. So I'm having to do something else. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of those days. I, I'm going to close out of the programme, I think, with Wilson Phillips. Yeah, I've managed to get something working. Wilson Phillips then, closing out the programme. Look after yourselves and one another. Speak tomorrow, Tuesday at 5. I've been to BBG. Bye now. Bye-bye.